or fourth grade and under, we call this kids' crew. Time of worship just for them where they get the stories of the Bible on their level, led by people who love God, love His Word, and love kids. And I want to invite you to turn your Bible this morning to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22. We are reading through the Bible this year, and each Sunday we are picking a different text from this week's reading, and that becomes sort of our our place where we dig in and study. And so in the course of a year, we're going to systematically work our way through the Bible. This morning, being in Psalm 22, we're going to see what many have described as the fifth gospel account of the the crucifixion of Jesus. And as we read through the psalm, I think you'll come to understand the Gospels. So the Gospels, the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they get their name. That name Gospel comes from the idea that they tell the message of Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus. It's the good news. That's literally what Gospel means. It's the good news. And what we find in Psalm 22 is another account of the very, the very events of the crucifixion of Jesus, but told prophetically hundreds of years before the time of Christ through the, the lyrics penned by David, the, the author of this psalm. So the psalms are sort of like our songs. It would have been sort of like the hymn book of the Hebrews that they would have used the various psalms as part of their worship. When they would worship, the way that they would celebrate, the way that they would bring praise, they would recite the psalms together, and oftentimes the psalms would be put to music. And so even this particular psalm, we read just before the the first verse of the psalm, you read some instructions to the choir master according to the doe of the dawn. And so that, that's some instructions that are given here indicating the tune of this particular song. Now, we don't know what the doe of the dawn is, right? But those are some notes, some music notes put in to indicate the tune that they would have used when they used this song, when they sang and celebrated using Psalm 22. Well, when we read Psalm 22, you, you'll notice right away some of the language of Psalm 22 seems very familiar. And in fact, what we, what we come to understand is that Jesus himself on the cross quotes from the 22nd Psalm. And so in that sense, this psalm takes on a whole new meaning, a whole new fulfillment, a prophetic fulfillment of words that David penned hundreds of years before that now Jesus helps us to see in those last moments that this is a psalm ultimately about me, about this moment, about the cross and the crucifixion of Christ. And so these words penned hundreds of years before take on a new meaning. We have songs. We have things like this, right, that have sort of a dual meaning that we understand or have some, some complex layers to them oftentimes. Anybody uh, think of a, a song perhaps that maybe works this way? I was thinking about it this week, and I thought of Bruce Springsteen's song, Born in the USA, okay? So you've heard this song before, right? 
born in the USA, I was. And that song is sort of iconic, and it gets used in our culture. If you go to a baseball game in any, any major league park in America around the 4th of July, you're probably going to hear that song, born in, the, right? That's a, it's become kind of this iconic anthem for the pride that we have as Americans. And yet, if you've ever listened to or really dissected the lyrics to that song, it's actually more of like a protest song. The song itself, when you listen to the lyrics, is telling the story of a man who fought in Vietnam and came home from Vietnam only to find himself estranged from his culture and ostracized and feeling like he didn't belong in a nation that he had just laid down his life for, and so he's singing, but I was born in the U.S. I've given given my everything for this nation, and when you read it in that way, it takes on sort of this complex new meaning, but that's, that was the, that was the message behind the song. Well, okay, in a similar way, we read Psalm 22, and we understand that when David penned this, I do believe David had some knowledge of, and certainly we, we believe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there is the working here that is propelling David to write these words with a prophetic voice speaking about the coming Messiah in the future. And yet, David couldn't have fully understood everything that, that becomes true as Jesus is quoting the words of Psalm 22 on the cross. But what we see in that moment is that, that Jesus himself has the awareness to show us how his life, his sacrifice, is the very fulfillment of what the Scripture is pointing to. One of the things that we've seen, and I tr- I've tried, and I will continue to try all year long to emphasize this throughout our study, this redemption story, is that we understand that the Bible and its 66 books is really telling one story, of Jesus. So that the Old Testament is pointing us to the work of Christ. We have in the New Testament the Gospels, which are telling us about the work of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the other writings in the New Testament pointing back to the work of Christ, the the message of the Gospel, and how we should live in light of that. All the Bible is pointing to Jesus. He is the central figure, the the central truth that the Scriptures are written so that we might know Jesus. And even in Psalm 22 this morning, we're going to see that it's all about Jesus. And so let's read together Psalm 22. And as I do, let me, let me just, before we dig in, let's point to the fact that there are two parts to this psalm that I want to play on, okay? The first 21 verses give us sort of this picture of the suffering of Christ on the cross. And then from verse 22 through the end of the psalm, we find this picture of the salvation that is brought through the suffering that Jesus endured on our behalf on the cross. And so everything centers on Jesus and his sacrifice for us. That's the two key themes today, suffering and salvation. How the suffering of Christ brought salvation to all who would trust in Jesus by faith. And so let's look together, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. No doubt when you read those words, that seems familiar, does it not? We'll we'll go back and and look at that more. Verse 3, yet you are holy 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, and company of evildoers encircles me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the, afflicted, the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive, prosperity, excuse me, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And so in this psalm, we we see this beautiful prophetic foretelling of the work of Christ. But it, it centers around these, these two axioms, these, these two key themes, these two ideas. The first of which, of course, is suffering. And so we see the suffering of the cross depicted. How many of these phrases did you pick up on in the psalm that are a part of the gospel's telling of the story of Christ in Matthew in particular, the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, we read that when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. In Matthew 27, 39, we read that those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Matthew 27, 43, they cried to him, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In Matthew 27, 46, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, there are these, these moments in, in the story of the gospel. Now, the reason that Matthew shares those events with us is because he's trying to connect the dots. Do you see? 
He's trying to put the puzzle pieces together to help us see that this Jesus who is suffering and dying willingly on the cross is fulfilling the very word of God that God would send one who would be the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one who would redeem God's people, who would redeem all those who would turn to Him in faith. But we must understand that that redemption comes through suffering. Now, that's a troubling thing for us to think about, that that Jesus' redemption came through suffering. And it's troubling on a couple of levels. First of all, when we consider who Jesus is, when we consider His power, when we consider His authority, we have to grapple with this this question. Why did Why did God allow this to happen? Why didn't God choose another way? Why didn't Jesus stop this? We know that with but a word, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels to his rescue, and yet it was the will of the Father, we read in Isaiah 53, to crush him. It was God's will, God's plan that Jesus would suffer on the cross in order to pay the price for our sin. See, the reason that Jesus suffers. The reason that he chose to to take the cross was so that he could pay the price for us. Jesus endured the pain of the cross. He endured the scorn of the cross. He endured the suffering that he experienced on the cross in order that you and I might be forgiven and set free if we would turn to him in faith. You see in your notes, that Jesus endured rejection on the cross so that you might be accepted by the Father. Why did Jesus suffer? He suffered so that you and I could be accepted. He suffered so that you and I, that our sins might be atoned through His payment, which was offered for us on the cross. So we see this picture of the suffering of the cross. What I find to be just almost astonishing, almost, almost mind-blowing, is that Jesus, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his agony, Jesus has the, the awareness of mind. He has the presence and the composure to quote from Psalm 22 in that moment. As, as he was suffering, nailed to the cross, pouring out his life for the payment of our sin, he has the awareness of mind to quote from Psalm 22. And he's doing so intentionally. We can tell that he's doing so intentionally. And the events themselves that are unfolding, all of this is happening to fulfill the word that was spoken in Psalm 22. But I find, particularly when we look at Jesus' words, the first verse of Psalm 22, Jesus' very words here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, the question that we, that we wrestle with theologically, doctrinally, is was Jesus really forsaken by the Father? What does it mean that Jesus would be forsaken by the Father? Well, clearly he must be forsaken by the Father because why else would he? He's not going to speak a word carelessly in that moment. And yet even the words that he's quoting are from the Scripture in order to demonstrate the fulfillment of the Scripture. And so what does it mean that Jesus was forsaken? 
in this moment? Well, I think it's important that we understand that what that means is in this moment, God's wrath was poured out on him. In this moment, Jesus took a punishment that he did not deserve. In this moment, willingly, willingly, he laid aside his rights and his power, and he endured pain and punishment in order that he might pay the price for our sin. The suffering of the cross is a beautiful thing. Not that suffering in and of itself is beautiful, but when we understand what that suffering accomplishes, better yet, when we understand for whom that suffering accomplished its perfect work, it's a beautiful thing to gaze upon the suffering servant, the Savior, laying down His life for His people. But I told you there are two parts to this psalm. So in the first 21 verses, we see this, this picture of, of Jesus' suffering. But then, beginning in verse 22, the, the focus shifts, if you will. The emphasis pivots. No longer is it about the pain that Jesus is enduring, but rather the work that is accomplished through His pain and His suffering. That He would bring salvation to us through the punishment that He took on the cross And so, it's the salvation of the cross, the salvation of the cross that points us to the greatness of God, the the salvation made available to all who would place their faith and their trust in Jesus. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You know, the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 22, verse 22, in giving us this fuller picture, this deeper understanding. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. It's in verse 12 particularly, but let's start in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. The writer of Hebrews writes, for it was fitting that he, meaning Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and here it is, the quotation from Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. What the writer of Hebrews is doing, again, connecting the dots, much like Matthew in writing and the writers of the Gospels, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's connecting the dots so that we, that we understand and we see that all of this happened so that God's work might be finished, might be accomplished. All of this took place so that salvation might be brought to us who were far off in our sins, that we might be forgiven and set free through faith in Jesus who offered himself. Jesus endured the suffering of the cross in order to bring to us salvation. It's the suffering of the cross that brings ultimately, that makes possible, I should say, the salvation of the cross. 
Jesus endured rejection on the cross so that you might be accepted by the Father. Have you ever faced rejection before? Have you, have you ever faced any, any kind of rejection? I, I suppose rejection comes in lots of different forms and lots of different shapes and sizes. And sometimes rejection is, is kind of easy and understandable. And sometimes it's just painful and, 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 and feels really personal. But we've probably, at all of us, at some point in life, we've been rejected in some way. But the rejection that you and I might endure is nothing compared to the rejection that Jesus faces here on the cross. That in this moment, He endured the wrath of God. It was poured out on Him. Why? So that we might be accepted. He was rejected so that we might be accepted. He was crushed so that we might be forgiven. He was pierced so that on us might be the peace that His chastisement purchased. See, the Scriptures make it clear that all of this is pointing us to this one central reality. Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. He made a way for you to be right with God. And it came through His suffering. But it was His suffering on the cross that brought salvation to all those who would turn to Him in faith. Not only did He endure rejection, but He experienced the pain of the cross. Why? So that you might be redeemed from your sin. Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father, willingly took the pain of the cross. And to be clear, it was agonizingly painful. It was, it was incredibly painful and difficult, and yet Jesus willingly endured that pain in order to purchase our redemption, which begs the question, have you trusted Jesus by faith? Have you ever turned to Him for the forgiveness of your sins? And have you confessed Him as the Lord, the Savior of your life? Have you surrendered your life to Him in order that you might be forgiven and set free? Earlier in our service, I stood with a few of our children, and I asked them this very important question. I want to pose this question to you now, the same question. I asked both Ellie and Aiden in their baptism today. I I looked at them and I said, Have you trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and confessed Him as Lord and Savior of your life? And I want to ask you that same question. Has there ever been a moment when you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? This same Jesus who willingly suffered the pain of the cross in order to pay the price for your sin. And have you confessed Him as your Lord and Savior. A confession means that we are stating something as truth. So that when someone appears in a courtroom, for example, and and they stand before the judge and they are asked for their confession. Did you how do you plead? What guilty or not guilty? And if they say, I did it, I confess, they're stating the truth. They're stating the truth. I am guilty. I have done this. And at least we would hope that if they stand in that moment and say, I didn't do it, that 
that that would be true as well. But that's the point of a confession, right? A confession means we're stating something. To confess Jesus as Lord and Savior means that you are, you are acknowledging what is true. So it's an external evidence for an internal event. Have you trusted Jesus? And have you confessed Him as Lord and Savior? This same Jesus who gave His life, who endured suffering in order that you and I might be saved. And that's the question. That's what, that's what all of the Scripture is pointing to. Psalm 22 and the rest of the Psalms and the rest of the Old Testament, the Gospels themselves, the writings of the New Testament, all of it is pointing us to Jesus and it's asking us this question. Would you receive Him by faith? And today, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, in a moment, we're going to have a, a time of response, a time of invitation. And in that moment, in that time of response today, we want to offer you the opportunity to trust Jesus by faith. If you've never done that, if you've never taken that step, then even as we stand and we sing the song together, we would encourage you to step out. Josh and I will be standing here at the front, and we would love to, to visit with you and, and lead you in a, a simple prayer that you might make this very same acknowledgement. Jesus, I trust you for the forgiveness of my sin, and I confess you as the Lord, the Savior of my life. He suffered on the cross. He endured the pain of the cross in order that you and I might be forgiven and set free. Oh, that we would turn to Jesus. We would receive his gift of salvation, that we may be made one with the Father. I want to invite you, if you would, to bow your head with me. And as we do this, we do this in preparation for this moment of response. We do this in order to eliminate and, and put aside all other distractions and anything else that might keep us from focusing our hearts and our minds fully in this moment on what the Lord is saying. And now what He's saying to your to the person seated next to you, and, and not what he might be saying to someone across the room, but how is God speaking to you? How is the Lord speaking to your heart? Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you made him your Lord and Savior? And are you living for him that others may see Jesus in you? And so, Lord, as we come before you in a moment of worship now, we do so humbly. Our desire is to, is to be brought low, Jesus, that you may be exalted. Our desire is to, is to step out of the way even so that others would see Jesus in us. And certainly our desire in this moment is not to look to our record of right or wrong or uh, of our goodness, but rather to trust fully in you and your perfect work on the cross where you accomplished for us what we could never do for ourselves, making a way for us to be forgiven and set free. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you endured suffering on the cross in order that we might be saved from our sin. You were rejected so that we might be accepted. Now, Lord, we turn to you in faith. Move in our hearts as we sing your praise. All this we pray in your name. I want to invite